You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Welcome to our next episode in Family Matters, this episode hosted by Brother Robert Prince is called Gender and Marriage. Mark talks to us about gender differences and marriage. This is something that nearly all of us struggle with in today's culture. Mark leads us in discovering God's plan for the battle of the sexes through the Bible and shows us that the plan is consistent from Genesis through to Revelation. Whether married or not, the topic of gender in the Bible is important for all of us to understand. Mark is married to Anita and they have three children whose ages range between 10 and 18. He is the author of For Better, For Worse and the workbook that goes with it. He is also a regular contributor to the Christadelphian magazine writing and speaking frequently about relationship issues. Hey, well, welcome to Family Matters tonight, or this morning, if you're, if you're Mark. Very early morning. Very early morning. Um, he's up really early, like I think it's half past six now, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. In the morning, in the morning. So yeah, we're up late, he's up early. So that's exciting. Um, it's great being able to sort of travel around the world like this and to be able to um, talk to people in different places. So anyway, we've got Mark with us tonight, Mark Vincent with us tonight. And uh, Mark's the husband of Anita and the father of three children whose ages range between 10 and 18. Um, he's the author of For Better, For Worse and the workbook that goes along with it. Here we go. Visual aids. Wrong way, wrong way, wrong way. Um, he's also a regular contributor to the Christadelphian magazine and he speaks and writes frequently about relationship issues. So tonight, Mark is going to be talking to us about gender differences in marriage. He's taking on this really challenging subject. Um, and this is something that nearly all of us struggle with. Mark's going to lead us in discovering God's plan for the battle of the sexes through the Bible. Uh oh, he's gone. <laughs> Don't run away. <laughs> and he's going to show us how that plan is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. Um, so, yeah, welcome, Mark. It's really good to have you here. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah. Um, let's open with a prayer and then we'll do a Bible reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together again tonight to be able to discuss your word. And the, um, and the message it has for us as couples and as individuals, as males and females and mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we discuss this tonight, you would help us to have open hearts and minds to be able to, um, to, be able to take on those roles and to live out our lives the way you want us to live. Please be with us tonight. Please give Mark the wisdom that he needs to, as he speaks to us and shares with us. And uh, we also pray tonight for your special blessing on Anita, who has just um, come down with COVID. And we pray that your blessing would be on her and that you would help her in her recovery. Please be with them. We pray. Please be with us through Jesus Christ. Amen. So as, a, as just an introduction to this, I just wanted to read Ephesians chapter 5. Um, not all of it, just a few verses, starting at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. 
he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So that was Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and uh, so, Mark, what what got you um, interested in in um, in marriage? I mean, a lot of a lot of men don't don't like reading relationships books. Wouldn't wouldn't be seen dead reading a relationship book, let alone let alone writing one. So, what 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 what's given you that special interest? Uh, so, I suppose I've always been a a a, a, um, a, a very curious person uh, um, in in many many different areas, um, and. Um, and I've always, to be honest, I've always, I've always enjoyed the sort of self-help genre of books of all types. Um, so, and you know, being married and realizing that you know that takes up a big amount of uh, one's life, and uh, um, and it's quite important. Uh, um, you know, it was natural that I would that, that, that I would start to read in that area, and a lot of interesting stuff that you read as well. But of course, the, you know, the real question is, what does the Bible have to say about it? And mm. and I suppose the, the Bible study aspect of it started with um, wanting to say something to you know at youth groups and for teens. So 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 I developed a series of talks for. Um, for the teen session when I was speaking at Bible school on relationships, because it felt to me there was a lot of biblical content on the subject that I wasn't sure was being talked about necessarily enough. So I gave that a few times and then it occurred to me, actually there's quite a lot of this that would be relevant uh, to a wider audience. But at that time I, I was probably in my uh, you know, mid to late thirties and I felt um, you know, that it wasn't really appropriate for me to, I was too young basically, um, to be, uh, you know, um, having a lot to say about the, about the question, it felt a bit slight, slightly weird. Um, but then it struck me that actually, if you approach the subject by looking at, you know, there's a lot of um, snapshots or cameos of uh, married men and women and of men and women generally in the scriptures. And it struck me that if you if you took it as a biblical study and you looked at those, you know, starting with Genesis, and of course marriage starts in Genesis two, right, and it goes right until the very last chapter of the Bible, um, and so it wins its way all the way through. So if you follow that and let the Bible guide you, and the principles come out of that, and then you add a, a few practical thoughts and insights from along with that. Then that might be a way of doing it. So, so that was that was my approach, which I originally trialed like ten or twelve of these in the Christadelphian and got reasonably reasonably positive uh, feedback. So I thought, okay, let's uh, let's do something bigger. So we ended up with about 50, 50 or, or so couples, biblical couples. So it ended up as quite a big book actually. But uh, yeah, so this is <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, your you book for better or for worse. Ooh, put it that way. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, about that? And, and just recently you've also put out a, a workbook. Yeah, so, 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 so really the book d does do that. So it takes several sections, you know, it takes what are the biblical foundations of marriage? What does marriage mean? What does gender mean? Um, you know, what are they for? Uh, and then it goes through, you know, there's a, there's a section on dating and finding a partner and then a one on the husband, one on the wife, one on sex, one on, uh, communication, um, one on difficulties in marriage, and one about you know how, how to sort of learn to be united through through the differences that we have. So that's the basic format of the thing. And then we felt that the the, the Christophian office actually said to me, "Could we have some kind of a workbook?" Because I think that, that um, you know it was apparent that a lot of um, ecclesias were doing. You know, marriage courses and, and marriage instruction when people were getting married and using uh, non Christadelphian material because there wasn't a lot of Christadelphian material. Some, some of the non Christadelphian material is, is, is very good and, you know, some of it is less good. Um, but it, it, why, why not why not do something ourselves? So I put the workbook together. It's quite funny, actually. I, 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 
So I wrote all these discussion questions and exercises and so forth, and then I gave it to Anita to, to, to read it, as I always do everything I write. And uh, she read it and said, uh, if anyone reads this, uh, you can be sure they won't get married. <laughs> so, uh, I went back to the drawing board and there's nothing more annoying actually than rewriting a book that you've already written. Um, <laughs> and the problem was that it's, you know, it's, a, it's one of those things about my character that's a strength and a weakness. I, I tend to be quite systematic, so I'd just written too many questions and it was like this barrage of questions that would just have been completely off-putting. So, you know, I massively hacked it down. Uh, and there's still probably too many questions. So if anyone uh, if anyone does get it and have a look, um, what I would say is, you know, the idea is not that you answer all the questions, um, but, you know, hopefully there are some questions in there that are interesting um, and useful. Uh, you know, do do those, for, but please don't feel you need to do the whole thing. Right. Um, so the idea is some of, it, some of the topics that you can discuss with your partner, some of it's for like meditation on your own, some of it is exercises where you actually write in the book. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a mixture of things. So what I'm hoping is that there'll be something that appeals to everybody, but certainly not everything will appeal to you by any means. Yeah, I must say I'm I'm part way through reading your book, the the, the textbook rather than the the workbook, and I'm really enjoying it and. Thoroughly recommend it to anyone who's who's uh, who wants to get hold of it. Um, it's, like, it's a very good book, very biblically written, and um, and very encouraging. Yeah. So, so thank you for that. So tell us um, the differences uh, between men and women. You know, the where we we be going to begin now on the gender differences. I mean, some of them are fairly obvious. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> some they of us are, are looking yeah. at <laughs> Perhaps it's, you know, it's perhaps worth saying at the start that, um, you know, before we start to talk about the differences, most of what the Bible says to human beings, it says to us all, right, whatever gender we are. So, you know, I don't know what the percentage is. Is it 95% or 99% or, or even 98%? I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, what does the Lord require of us? whether we're male or female, it's the same thing. Um, we're both made in the image of God. There's a male version and there's a female version. And you know, you see that in Genesis where the man and the woman are blessed by God uh, together and told to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion. And um, you know, they're both caught in sin. Um, they're both expelled from the garden and um, and the means of salvation that's you know that's pointed out in that um, you know in the in the in the shedding of blood and the coats of skins, it's the same means of salvation. So you know we stand in common need before God, and we receive a common salvation. And so and, and that's there in Genesis very clearly, and it's there in the New Testament very clearly. So there's there's, there's no distinction. And, and, you know, some people do want to drive this wedge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think it's one of the great strengths of our Christadelphian understanding of the Bible that we don't see it that way. We see the Bible as this integrated whole. Yes, there are different stages of God's purpose, certainly. But so, so when Paul says uh, there is neither male nor female um, and, you know, other passages in the New Testament that speak about our common salvation, and about men and women together receiving the gospel, that's entirely in keeping, that, that, that's consistent through the scriptures. Yet, of course, that's only, that's only part of the story and, and there are these differences. So, so yeah, sorry about all that preamble, but I just think it's really important to, to, yeah. to, to say that, um, that most aspects of discipleship are common uh, to us, irrespective of gender. Um, but then when we say, well, what are the differences? Well, then that, that's when it becomes tricky, isn't it? Because that's a highly <laughs> politicized question nowadays. And, you know, it's one of those things where you have to think really carefully about what it is that comes out of your mouth in case you accidentally say the wrong thing and the thought police, uh, you know, the thought police get you for saying something that's, you know, desperately politically incorrect. But, I mean, we can start with the really obvious, as, 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 you, as you rightly said. It's like, well, there seem to be some physical differences here, right? Yeah. Our, our, our reproductive apparatus is quite different. Um, 
there are other physical differences. Our, you know, the male skeletal structure is generally bigger and, and there is more muscle mass on the male. Um, so there are physical differences. And, and, and so, so is that it then? Is it just a physical thing? And other than that, we're identical. Well, I think, I think we all know that that's not the case, don't we? Um, and, and you can go down a scientific road and you can say, well, you know, we now understand that there are neurological differences. Um, so, you know, it seems that there are more connections um, between the left and right hemispheres of the brain in a female than there are in the male brain, typically speaking. And then the psychologists can do their work and they can, you know, we can examine how males tend to behave and females tend to behave in different situations and there are differences, differences towards attitudes towards sex and needs in sex are different. Um, we can think about things that males and females tend to be interested in and the jobs that they tend to do. Now, and again, they're different. You know, generally speaking, there are more males who, in, who are interested in watching other males uh, kick a piece of leather around the field uh, than there are females who are interested in watching either men do that or women do that. Uh, and there are women who want to do that. Uh, so, you know, that's like, it's like a trivial point, but in a way it's just so obvious that there are these differences. Um, and, and of course, there's, you know, for the, for the strong feminists, there is a response to that where they'll say, well, that's, um, you know, that's all culturally determined. It's a constructed reality rather than an actual reality. Um, but I, 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 I think it's, uh, it is quite unpersuasive, really, the reading and that reasoning. And, you know, I'm not a great expert in feminist literature, but I have deliberately gone out to read some of it. And, you know, for some of it, you would, when you bring that into a religious context, what would you be saying if you go down that road? You'd be saying, you know, that God, well, you know, men and women have done, have, have, have had, you know, behaved in certain ways for centuries, for thousands of years, and, and there's this perspective in the Bible, but God didn't really understand gender until Simone de Beauvoir and Germaine Greer and Cordelia Fine and these people came along to explain it to him. And then, you know, God realized that, oh, yes, actually, that was a bit old fashioned what I'd said. I mean, it's completely ridiculous that that, that that would be the case. So, of course, you know, the surface of how we conduct life does change through time and the scope for cultural variation in that. But um, it seems to me that society is is quite confused. It, it, it sort of grudgingly admits, or sometimes it doesn't, that there are these differences that, as I say, you know, they interest psychology, physiology, um, emotional differences. There are these differences. Society doesn't really have a paradigm for explaining those things. And yet when we turn to the Bible, they're explained in pages one, two, and three. And, that, and it continues right the way through to Revelation. And for me, this is like a really powerful preaching point. It's, yeah. the, the, the Bible knew this about us. And so we turn to Genesis 2, and man and woman are made in completely different ways. And different things are asked of them. And mm. different punishments are given to them. Now, if it is the case, that you know our brains are wired differently we are psychologically different we're interested in different stuff that entirely fits with what we find in genesis it doesn't fit the modern narrative about gender and yeah. and i'll fit out oh, sorry i realize i've gone on for a while let me just make one more point you know when you go into that feminist literature and you know they they try to make the case that oh well you know boys only play with trucks and and the girls only play with dolls because you know, because you fed them to them in that way. And so actually they're, they're all, you know, there are no differences. Um, you can feel that tension when you read what they've written because they end up saying, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong. It's all culturally constructed. But then you say, so, so do you think men and women are identical? Oh no, they're not identical. Well, so what, what are the differences then? And then, and, and it, at least as far as what I've read, then there's a kind of a silence that's painted themselves into a corner and 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 basically 
don't know where to go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You, you talked about about um, Adam and Eve, you know, and how God, right at the beginning, created different um, different roles, different purposes, different different ways of different different things for the man and the woman to do. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Um, you know, what roles should we be playing biblically? What what are our biblical roles? What were Adam and Eve's biblical roles? Yeah, so so um, so it's interesting in Genesis two. So the instruction to the man. So so man, of course, is created first, and and you say, well, I suppose God could have created them like absolutely simultaneously, but he chose not to do that. He chose to create the man first. Well, is that an accident? Is there any significance to that? And we might say, well, you know, you think there is, I don't think there is. Well, we actually know that there is because the New Testament tells us that that, that, that is significant, right? For Adam was first born and then Eve. And of course, Christ is the first born. So, so even in Genesis, it's embedded, isn't it? That actually um, what it is to be male and female is not an end in itself. It's, it's neither a biological accident nor is it an end in itself there's actually a typology here so, so so genesis is telling us about how it all began um but it's of course it's not just telling us about that you know the man is created first all things are put under his feet that sounds like typological language um the woman is created from his side while he sleeps um and 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 and, and there they are in you know, in, in, in this garden, in this, in this paradox, and God bless, they receive God's blessing, and they're to be in fellowship together, which is, again, more resonant language, isn't it, from a spiritual perspective, and they're to be fruitful together, they're to bring forth fruit through their union. And all of that, of course, is how it will be with, you know, how it was with God and Israel, or how it was meant to be, and how it will be with, with, with Jesus and, and his bride. So that's there in Genesis. So. Um, so in the, the firstness of Adam and God's giving his commands to Adam and then Eve, of course, is to help him so that together with the united front, they now try to fulfill the commandment that God had given Adam. So in a way, Adam is kind of the representative of the family, which again, oh, this is language. That, this is language now that we would use to talk about the atonement, isn't it? Um, Adam is sort of the interface between the family, you know, when it wants to assume there are other families and the outside world. Um, and Eve's responsibilities are, are, are more within uh, the family. So, and, and if we follow through what happens in, in, in the punishments and the nature of the fall, that is borne out. So when the fall happens, of course, we know that chronologically speaking, it's Eve who is the first to sin. So God would be entirely justified, one would think, in saying to Eve first, why is it you've done this? But he doesn't. He goes to Adam because it was to Adam that the commandment was given. And then he goes to Eve and then he goes to the serpent. And then when the punishments are given out, they're given back in reverse order again. So, um, you know, Adam and Eve go in diametrically the opposite order of what they should have done, where the animal suggests to the woman, and of course, the man and the woman won't have dominion over the animals, but the animal suggests to the woman, and then the woman gives to the husband, um, whereas, of course, God's command had been given to him, and he was supposed to ensure that it was fulfilled in his family. So that's some of the aspects of the man's responsibilities, and that's the, 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 the sin in the family, even though it was, it was not chronologically introduced by him, is put at his door, and death is put at his door, uh, for as in Adam all die. Uh, so the woman um, is, is given the particular aspects brought out for her. Um, and, and of course, she has the suffering of childbirth. And, and that whole thing of, you know, the, the it, it's structural to the woman's life, this, isn't it? You know, in, in the menstrual cycle that it's something that men don't participate in at all. Um, and, and of course, 
the pain of childbirth and what is emotionally involved in childbirth. You know, a man can't begin to imagine what that what that is like, what that means. Um, there's there's and, definitely a lot more a lot of a lot more bonding between the mother and the baby than there is with the with the father and the baby. As a general. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and and so that's brought out in Genesis, isn't it? Um, and and of course Adam describes her as the mother of all living, which again you can read that in different levels. One of the things that's so fascinating to me about Genesis is that there are, it is so rich, isn't it? It's like you never stop seeing new things in it. And uh, uh, sorry about the noise of my dog, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. I think she wants to go outside. I forgot to do that before we started. We've just got a bird. We've got a, bird we're struggling with a bird right now. <laughs> well, I can't hear that, so hopefully you can't hear the dog. Um, yeah, so the mother of all living. Um, and of course, you say, well, that's just saying that, uh, that all human beings were descended from Eve. Well, is it just saying that, really? Um, the mother of all living. Uh, you could have used a different expression. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's quite a rich expression, and it, I think it talks to the concern and the connection that, um, you know, again, generally speaking, and when we talk about gender differences, of course we're talking in, 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 we're talking in generalizations. Of course there are some men who are more X, Y, Z than some women, and, 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 and vice versa. That will always be the case, but we're talking about what is generally the case. And that sort of emotional awareness and connection, that empathy, um, that, that, that caring and nurturing, uh, that is, I think, and, and why should we not say it? Uh, or, or why should we be scared of saying it? That is something that is, generally speaking, more characteristic of a woman, and it's captured for me in that phrase. Uh, the, the mother of all living. So, you know, you could say, well, is this for only for women who have children? And, and, and I don't think that's the case. And, and, and you see that in something like Deborah, right? There are, when Deborah is the mother in Israel, there are no diapers or nappies involved in that scene. It's not just about, you know, what a woman, uh, what role a woman plays with small children. Massively important though that is, it, it's a bigger role of care for her family, but for, for all things, the ecclesia and, 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 and perhaps even more widely than that. And, and, you know, you can see elements of that in Proverbs 31 too. Yeah. yeah. So what would you describe the role of, um, uh, of a husband and a father to be? What, how do we see that from, from scripture? And I'll ask the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so that I suppose that gets us into um, the, the, the subject of, so we've talked about the, 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 that firstness in Genesis. And again, this is a thing I just think where we see this, this consistency through Scripture. You know, this is an Old Testament and a New Testament thing. And of course, it's it's explained most fully when we get when we get to Ephesians five. So I suppose if you could, you know, if you could just have two passages on marriage, I suppose you would have. Well, certainly I would. I don't know about you, but you'd pick the same ones. Um, you'd perhaps have your Genesis passages and and, and, and Ephesians five. Yeah, so that would be two of the most important, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the New Testament uses this language of, of, of headship. So it talks, and we've, and we've got to hold these things in tension. There is this equality, this equality of status, you know, which, which we saw in Genesis and which is there in the New Testament as well. We're, we, we're both equal in God's sight and in, you know, in need of the same salvation as male and female. But different roles are asked for, of us, and I think that plays out in two places. I think it plays out in family life, and I think it plays out in ecclesial life as well. Um, but when we think, you know, perhaps to say, what, what, what does it mean? Well, you know, if we take the idea of the man as, as, as representing the family and as being the head, the spiritual head of the family, then you know, we need to we need to unpack what does that mean, and to do that, you have to be challenging to a guy. Yes, it is. No, absolutely, it is. Yeah, but this, 
but for me this is a this is a very powerful thing you know it's 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 been said by a number of modern writers that there's a sort of a crisis of maleness that males don't know what to do with themselves before anymore you know there was a time when you know we used to go out and do physical stuff that we were better suited for than you know like digging ditches and so forth and you know building things and of course some people still do do that still do do that and get a lot of uh, a, a lot of fulfillment from it but a lot of us now you know we sit i sit there all day doing this on a computer and talking on tele, telephone calls um you know my, my, my gender isn't 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 really relevant to, to, to that i suppose um so so what are men for and and if we say well what is it that's distinctively male well um you know it was like playing on an xbox and um you know crime um these are some of the things that that men stand out for and competitive sports as i've mentioned already uh, in distinction to women um and you know there was a time well so, so the, the, those are some things so so is that it then is is, is that what maleness is about now and, and, and of course not. <laughs> you know please no yeah um the scriptures tell us no there is something really to aspire to here and it is to aspire to to represent christ and there is no higher calling than that that um, that a man could have whether he's married or not it is to be christ-like and what does what's our model for headship our model for headship is to try to be as the sort of head that christ was and it is this sacrificial leadership isn't it self-sacrificial leadership servant leadership sometimes it's called so we need to think about how christ led and then i as a man need to think about how can i be more like that so when i think about how i can try to be a spiritual head in my family um you know that 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 would in, that would hopefully include things like trying to set the spiritual direction for the family and then asking for my wife's help in implementing that in the family because I can't do it alone. And that was why the woman was created as a help so that we could hopefully do that together. So, you know, when Joshua, this is Joshua, uh, as for me and my house, I will serve, yeah, you know, we will serve yeah. the Lord. Um, that, that, is, that is kind of the phrase, I think, that captures what I, I ought to be trying to do as a spiritual head but then we think about what what else is Christ's leadership about well it's he, he came to do a work of sacrifice he came to bring salvation and and it's my responsibility to to seek above all things the salvation of my wife to do whatever I can in my family to ensure that she is saved and presented as a glorious bride right um so there's that aspect of it there's the there's you know there can be an aspect of leading in the scriptures and worship making sure the family is focused on worshiping god as as a family unit christ's work is all about forgiveness i can be the one who looks to say sorry first who looks to you know lead in reconciliation of course in every relationship there are times when we you know when we get out of sync when we fall out about things when there's a, a chill in the air in the marriage uh, what yeah. am i doing as the spiritual head to try to bring about that reconciliation that that god would uh seek that unity that he would seek in in the family and of course all you know all of those things are to some degree our mutual responsibility but just as um you know it wasn't like in the garden that it didn't matter that Eve had sinned and so God just went to Adam because it was only him who was important of course that's not the case but God goes to Adam first and then he goes to Eve and similarly when when, when we think about family I think it's a similar thing where the, the man as it were carries the can in that sense for that spiritual direction mm. and, and he needs to seek the help of his wife in you know in making sure the family is indeed um headed in the right way and and is and is implementing that that goal does that, does that make sense so it does make sense it actually makes me feel very small you <laughs> 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 know uh, we've well i've got a long way to go and i you know, presume hopefully others have too 
but uh, please forgive me. <laughs> but we want to be, we want but, to be aspirational, don't we? It, it, oh, it's, it's like we, we need to, we need something to aim for. Yeah. Yeah. And be the first is that Yeah. So, so okay, let's turn the tables now. What about what about women? What about wives and mothers? Uh, what's their role? So. So we talked a bit about the Genesis uh, part. Um, so, so what is the New Testament equivalent of, of, of that? Um, well, it, it's what it, it's what um, Ephesians five now takes that and talks about the wives submitting, doesn't it? Which of course is difficult. That's you know that's a difficult word. And you know, we talked about the, the challenges of political correctness, mm -hmm. and of course, that's not a word that one would choose to use at all in in in, not in that politically word. <laughs> yeah, in that world of, of modern culture. So we so we need to think about that. We need to think about what that means. Um, and and for me, the, the 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 clearest way of thinking about that is is to say that it's about giving the husband the space and allowing him to be uh, you know allowing him to step up to the role of being what he is supposed to be mm. and that is that is in her gift and i remember once hearing uh, hearing a non-christadelphian pastor a chap called Woody balcom talking about this and 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 he made that point very powerfully he said you know if this this model of Christ and the church, you know, it, 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 if the if the woman does not give space for the husband to do that, if he doesn't support him and and try to help him to raise his game to step into that role, what is he going to do? You know, is he going to arm wrestle her for it? You know, for that headship. And of course, the idea of the husband and the wife arm wrestling for, you know, who's going to be head here, it, it, it's completely ridiculous. And that was his point about how ridiculous that would be. Um, so the only way, uh, you know, the only way that this can work is if uh, the woman tries to allow it to be the case, you know, is prepared to say, well, actually, you know, God made us and he does know what is best. He does know what is the best recipe for, for our marriage. And so I'm going to try to do, uh, try to do this. So, so, so I, for me, that's what the submission is about. It's about allowing him and giving him the support to be what God has asked him to be. Now, so, so what, what how, does, how does she do that if he's not naturally stepping up to the plate? Yeah, so so that's that's a difficult because one, as, isn't as it? Female, we often kind of just automatically sort of step into that role if we think that's not happening, <laughs> <laughs> and then we tend to right. tread on top of the things that we perhaps shouldn't be treading on top of. And then he feels put down and useless. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. So that's that 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 is indeed how it can how it can break down. And it's, I think it's, it's quite difficult to answer that in general terms because every relationship is different, right? And the reason why it's not working in the case of one particular husband and wife will, will probably be different depending on their own, um, their own you know, mix of, of, of psychologies and, and, and so forth. I mean, I think, there, you know, it, it is true that, the, the, you know, I think it's innate in a husband to want to please his wife and to want his wife to think well of him and and so he does care what he he does care about what his wife cares about and he wants to please her and and so if you know if the most important thing in the world is you know for her to go on you know six glamorous holidays a year to exotic locations if that is the most important thing for her then he will try in some in some way or other. He will try to make that happen, and it may or may not be possible. Um, but and and you know, I just picked that as some random you know 
not particularly spiritual goal, um, but you know, it's like it's a goal for many people, and, and it's, it's like it's, it's it's fine to go on holiday. Of course, I'm not knocking going on holiday, um, but of course, if what he really wants is something which is spiritual, uh, then 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 her husband will want to try to please her and will want to try to make the family that that environment. So so I think that that thing about the woman's influence and of course it's not through nagging it has to be it has to be you know a, a more subtle influence than that uh, and we've got examples of that in the scriptures of women doing exactly that um so so i, so I think with that I, I suppose the the other thing to point out is because you're absolutely right what happens if the man is is not delivering if the man is well thanks for tea i'm now going to go and play on my xbox what is she going to do? Is she going to say, okay, well, that's it then. We can't do the readings tonight because dad's playing his Xbox. Um, no. Um, and of course, there are many things in, in our lives that are not ideal as they should be. And so you have to do the best thing that you can in, this, in, in those circumstances then. And again, there are examples of that too. And I'll just quote one example. There are other examples like this. That when the man does not step up, that the woman then needs to step up. It's like there are competing scriptural principles, aren't there? There's like there's trying to do God's will in the family, and there's following the pattern of Ephesians five. And if if the pattern of Ephesians five isn't working, well, that doesn't mean that, that okay. Well, let's forget about let's forget about God in this family then, because my husband's not interested. Not at all. So the example I'd like to give is that weird one in Exodus four, where Moses is going to be the the savior. Of, of the Israelites and the angel of the Lord tries to kill him on the way when they're at the inn. And uh, you know, the bloody husband and the, the, the foreskins cast on the ground. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's a strange, strange incident, isn't it? But I think the message of that incident is Moses should have circumcised probably his son. It's a bit ambiguous in the passage and he hadn't done what he should have done. And so, and so the mother, and she's not even an Israelite mother, has to step in and do what Moses should have done, and and she does, and she doesn't take, and and, and she's actually angry about it, um, but she does what needs to be done. Uh, she she steps up when he fails to do that, and and, yeah. and I think you know I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. But then it's like, how do you do it? How do you step up, isn't it? And there's there's a right way and there's a wrong way of doing that, as as there is in everything that we do. Um, yeah. So that would be that. I, I, just, I just want to come back. So we've talked about the submission thing a little bit, and obviously there's a whole load of other stuff there, perhaps. But, but um, you know, what else do the scriptures say about the woman's role? Well, of course, they, they use the language of the helping in Genesis, and that together the man and the woman discharge the responsibilities that are given to the man. And of course, the other thing then is the piece about uh, about the woman as the bringer of life. And therefore, the bringer of hope. Um, so that is picked up, of course, about being saved in childbearing. That is picked up in the New Testament passages that talk about the woman's responsibility uh, towards the household. You know, sort of inward, family-centered uh, focus. And and you know, when we just think about how important the work with children is, if there are children in a family. Um, but but that that thing about uh, women as the bringer of life that that again goes through the scriptures and comes up in all sorts of places where you don't expect it. It's there in Judges 13. It's like what is it doing there when Samson is born and you've got this passage about the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, and how she should teach her son um, of everything that I have told the woman. Let her beware. This is her responsibility. And that's brought out in the New Testament as well. And Samson, of course, is the seed of the woman. And it's just this little cameo of how Genesis, what God promises in Genesis, is ultimately going to be delivered in the New Testament. And so women have this, you know, this wonderful responsibility of being the bringers of life, whereas men are the bringers of death. And they're nurturing that life and shaping that life and caring for it. And that, of course, applies, as I've already said, to children, but it applies in that broader sense as well in the ecclesia for, yeah. for women who are not married as well as those who are. Mm -hmm. So those are some aspects of it. Yeah. Okay, so we've got we've got a lot of differences, which we've seen. Um, 
are there are there certain needs that men and women have that the opposite gender is supposed to fulfil? I, I think so. Yes. So, so again, if you read the literature on um, you know differences, um, I think that's I think that comes becomes clear. You know, I think God has wired us differently in terms of our in terms of our sexual needs and sometimes you know sometimes we can find that quite frustrating right we think it would be so much easier if god had wired us exactly this way and <laughs> that becomes that becomes a matter of faith doesn't it of trusting that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made and that you know if, if there's this sort of indiscriminate aspect of the male sexual drive and the man having to, um, you know, possess his vessel to use use scripture language to talk about that, and that is a, that is a, and, and and of course there are aspects in which that's a challenge for women as well, and, and I don't, don't mean to say otherwise, but um, but perhaps as a, you know, you know, relatively intense, you know, consistent pressure through time that's something that a man has to manage um and that's a real you know that's a that's a real challenge of discipleship and i know you've, you've talked about some issues to do with that on the last session i i i, I think um and, and of course the woman is wired differently there but we've got we've got to assume here that we've got to trust that god knew what he was doing and that there was a reason for that and that in some way then that must be an encouragement for a man to treat his wife in a certain way and for a woman to treat his, wife, his husband in a certain way and that that ultimately the, the, things are better this way than they are some other way that that we might imagine it would be if we'd if we'd have done it yeah. um so yeah so so, so yeah, the, God's made us different so that we can we can fit and serve one another in ways that complement each other. I suppose that's, that's right. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we get to Ephesians five, I, th I, th I find this really powerful because again, um, if Ephesians five said something, although it says at the top of the chapter, it says not the top of the chapter, the top of the passage, it says you know, submit yourself one to another. So there is a mutual submission aspect of marriage. Of course there is. And of course there is a mutual loving aspect of the marriage as well. But then when Paul turns individually to the genders, he says something that is completely different to the man than what he says to the woman. Now, why is that? Again, it's because we are actually different. And it's because there is a theology that is driving this, that Christ and the church that's what it's really about. And, and of course, Paul exclaims that, doesn't he, at the end of the passage where he says, this is a great mystery. And you thought I was talking about man and woman. No, I'm not. The real mystery is, is, the, is the bigger mystery. That's what it's all about. There's something more important than me and Anita and, and than you two. You know, the, 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 the purpose of the world is not my marriage uh, although, yeah. uh, or my life, you know, although often I, I might live as if it were mistakenly. So I've got to keep my eyes on that. So, so then when we say, well, what does he say to the man? And what does he say to the woman? Um, what does he say to the man? He says, love her, love her, love her, love her. I think it's four times. He yeah. says it. Um, he doesn't tell the woman to love the man. Isn't that, isn't that just incredible? It's astonishing yeah. that every time I look at that again, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by it. And, and we might speculate why that is. Is it because it comes more naturally to the woman and and the man tends to be more emotionally constipated and forget <laughs> to show the love uh, that he should, you know, it's like he's great at showing it when he's dating, what, you know, when he's trying to, 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 to win the woman in quotes. Um, and then he forgets, he becomes too involved with the stuff because men tend to be interested in stuff and they can be you know, consumed and distracted by their careers and they have to ensure that they don't do that and that they remember that it's their responsibility to love their wives and to sacrifice themselves for their wives. So, so what Ephesians 5 does is tell the man to focus on what is difficult for him, to remember to love his wife, mm -hmm. Um, you know, and hopefully in the way that she likes to be loved, to feel loved. <laughs> uh, and it helps. 
It does help. Yeah, and it's important. And of course, you know, to put that whole book on love languages. That's you know, that's really relevant to that, isn't yeah. it? But it's also what she needs. She needs to feel loved. She has a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that she has to cope with in her role. And the the the, the what's the fuel that will will help her get through that and take on that load? Well, um, of course, it's her relationship with God and Christ and her sense of responsibility and her love of her children and all those things. But but the love of her husband is a key ingredient in enabling her to do that. Um, now, so, so that's that's the that's the man there. What's difficult for him is is what's asked of him and what is what she most needs. Whereas when we think of the woman, she's not told to love him. Uh, she's told to submit, uh, to submit and to reverence her husband or to respect her husband. And of course, that's there in Ephesians 5. And there are another couple of New Testament passages that make the same point. Now, I assume that and again, this is this is an assumption, but I think it's not a you know, I think it's a, it's a sensible one. Um, the probably a similar thing applies that this is going to be something that is difficult for her because she knows all her husband's faults and yet she is to treat him as if he were Christ. Now, again, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's like yeah. no one knows better than Anita how I am not the <laughs> Christ and, and, and what the extent, you know, if anyone had to write a list of Mark's faults, I'm sure that she could write the longest list. And yet, in the face of that, she is asked to treat me as if I were Christ and to respect me and to give me that space to try to, you know, rise to be that spiritual head. Now, yeah. and, and by the same token, I would suspect that that is something that is important for me. Uh, you know, if you see a husband and wife where the wife belittles her husband, it's it's a you know it's it's not a it's it's not a pretty thing to see, is it? And no. it's, it's it's really sad. And uh, this is something that is very difficult. For a man and you know we could get into the male ego and what that is and like isn't that a weird thing and why does he have that and and all that well you know he does have it and um again presumably god knew what he was doing there and of course the man has to manage his ego um but the, it's really important for a man to feel to feel respected by his wife yeah. Um, that she values his opinion and that she that, and that she respects him. And if she's able to show that, then that again is a kind of a fuel that enables him to to to, to you know to rise up to to what he can be. Yeah. And to love him more, actually. Mm. Yeah. 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 The more respected he feels, um, the more love he shows yeah. because he just. Yeah, he really treasures yeah. the one who's respecting him. So it's a it's a beautiful picture, and it's it's a beautiful picture of of the ecclesia's relationship or our personal relationship to Christ. And yeah, we really really thank you for bringing that out, Mark. And and yeah, just helping us point us back to how a marriage should look like that picture. Mm. And that's what we should be aspiring to, what we want to aspire to. And I think, like you've rightly pointed out, if we can keep our heads in the big picture rather than in the getting bogged down into the into the little picture, it's all about us. It's it's not, you know, it's actually much something much bigger. Yeah, looking at Christ and His bride just really makes that big difference in a marriage. That says says that this is what we're actually aiming for. And I think you've pointed that out really well tonight. So thank you so much for that, Mark. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Really appreciate your early morning. Yes. <laughs> it looks like it's starting to get light. Starting to get here. light too. Wow. Yeah, it's it's like, building work at the moment, so I'm expecting the joiners to arrive at any moment and start putting up the, the timber frame of a, of a of a of a building out there. So we'll see. Oh, we'll see. Wow. If right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, we do really do appreciate you um, getting up so very early in the morning so that you could um, share this the, the this wisdom and insight with us. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just what's coming up next week? We're taking a break again, and on the thirtieth of November, 
we have the topic Thriving with Kids in the Holidays with Josh and Anna Tunnel and Jess, uh, Brendan and Jess Mudge. Uh, so that'll be a fun one, I'm sure. Finding out what to do with the kids when the trip is long and boring and the kids are going, are we there yet? Um, and then we have holidays. Um, we're going to have a couple of months off and in February we'll be back with marriage month. So we've got a couple of, uh, of um, marriage programs on for you in February. So look out for that. I'll tell you a little bit more about that probably next time. God willing. God willing. Yeah, um, if you want to be get the reminders about Family Matters, just remember to, to send me an email. That's robert at thinkythings.com. Just put Family Matters in the title bar and I will send you reminders about what's happening on Family Matters. I'll send you resources. And I think this week we have an article by uh, Mark um, that was published in the Christadelphian, which we'll send out, uh, which is a really good one, called um, Working Together, the Theology of Gender. There it is. Okay, don't read it now. I will send it to you in the next email. Um, and also, there's past recordings available. If you Google Pickering or Christadelphians, it's first on the list, um, and you'll be able to find past recordings there. So uh, let's just finish now and uh, see. Mark, would you mind closing with prayer? Sure, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for. All your blessings to us we thank you for the time that we've been able to share together just now to think about the way in which you have made us lord we marvel at your creation and the more we learn about ourselves and the intricacies of our brains and our bodies and the things that we learn about our differences and our similarities we're brought to think about your wisdom and your greatness and we thank you that you've made us as you have we thank you for the guidance that there is in the scriptures and we pray that we will Trust in what you've said and not be distracted by voices from the culture that sometimes can pull us away to the thinking of human beings instead of uh, the thinking of you, our maker. So we thank you, Lord, for the way that you have made us and we pray that we can use these things uh, in all their aspects. Each one of us, Lord, is absolutely unique. And we can take the strengths of this and turn them to your service. And that we can recognize also the challenges and the temptations that arise from our individual natures. And that we can fight against them with the strength that we gain from the scriptures and from the example of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Lord, in our marriages, in our relationships as male and female, we ask that you will bless us. Lord, we know we sin in our marriages, in the way that we treat our partners, um, just as we sin in other aspects of our lives. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we pray that as we strive to put into practice the principles that you give us and, and look at the example of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, of his love for his church and her love for him. We pray that this will motivate us to try again and to walk towards your kingdom. So, Lord, we ask for your blessing now and pray that you'll hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. 
you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.